mini episode 1145 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode number 1145. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. And if you've caught our previous eight mini-episodes, uh, we took a deep, deep, deep dive inside the NFL for 2019 division by division with the one and only Platinum Smalls making his return to the FDH Lounge. So what we're doing today, by contrast, is we're taking a big-picture look here at uh, both of the different conferences, what some of the main stories are going to be the teams that we'll be talking about, issues that have arisen uh, for the league in 2019, some of which directly coming out of 2018, and uh, an awful lot to be able to get to, and uh, one of my favorite panels that we always put together. These gentlemen collectively do the Callous Thoughts podcast, Good Friends, uh, Joe Stazak and Steve Callis. I will be bringing them in here. Uh, Joe from 97.5, The Fanatic in Philadelphia, an outstanding show in the uh, market there, uh, dominating the ear holes in Philly. Uh, it is always a pleasure uh, to have uh, Joe on. We've been having him uh, on since back in the days when he was doing TV, a well-rounded, well-seasoned broadcast veteran. Good to have you back on, my friend. Thank you so much for making time for us. Hey, Rick, always a pleasure, my friend. Always a pleasure. Always love to Love to have you on, and uh, the same holds true for my good friend and fellow FDH Lounge dignitary, Steve Callis, who has been uh, heard, of course, over the course of time on many, many fine outlets, whether it be WFAN, SNY in New York, a lot of places. Uh, Now, I understand he is the sports editor of the Westchester County Post. You can find that at westchestercountypost.com. Steve, great to have you back on, my friend. Please elaborate about your new gig. I've checked out some of the video content there, and it is really, really interesting. Yeah, it's great to be with both of you guys, as always. I'm very lucky to be doing some video, some sports articles uh, for WestchesterCountyPost.com. You can see it all on the Internet right now. I'm working with two wonderful people. Janelle Walbritton is the uh, owner and publisher of WestchesterCountyPost.com, and I can tell you... She's also a very good editor as well, and you guys know what I think of editors, so to find a good one is a rare happenstance, Um, but lucky to be working with her, and Thomas DeSantis is the business development director, so I have a lot of fun working with these people, but they're also very good at what they do. You know, we got a lot of videos up on a lot of different things. We're going to follow Notre Dame football every week, but I already have something up there on the pass interference rule in the NFL, which I'm sure we'll get to during the following uh, hour or whatever we're going to do here. But yeah, lucky to be doing this and lucky to be doing this stuff with you guys right now. 
Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we start right on what you're talking about there with the pass interference rule, because that's going to bleed into, I'm going to be asking Joe subsequently about some of the major stories in uh, the NFC this year, some of the major teams in there, and of course the Saints factor into that very prominently. They're a preseason Super Bowl favorite in a lot of quarters, but let's just back up for a second here and get to why they weren't in the Super Bowl a year ago, and a lot of it uh, bleeds down to this one play. And uh, again, a, a very, very badly botched call by the NFL. But this is what happens, and this is what's been happening ever since they put in replay. It's a highly reactionary type system. Something goes wrong. Oh, my God, why didn't we include that in that previously? And then they put it in, and it's like, oh, that's why, because it was really super complicated. But then you get stampeded into it here, uh, as they were by uh, the way that the Saints got screwed out of being in the Super Bowl but uh, I really liked the uh, video that you had there. And, again, people should check it out at westchestercountypost.com. A nice little two-parter you got there on the complexity of this issue and why there's more to it than what meets the eye. Well, I think you said it best in terms of reactionary, but it was one of the most, if not the most, egregious call we've ever seen in a playoff game. And if you talk to football fans 20, 30, 40 years from now, I mean, they'll remember this play. It was so bad. So everybody knows what happened. Uh, you know, there was an obvious pass interference call that wasn't called. And as a reaction to that, Sean Payton, who was on the rules committee, of course, uh, of course, the coach of the Saints, decided to try and push through and did push through with the help of virtually all the coaches a new rule where you can review uh, not only a pass interference call, but a non-pass interference call, which is, this is, as you both know, the first time this has ever happened in NFL history. But here's the problem. Um, the coaches are only allowed to challenge it with a challenge flag the first 28 minutes of the first half and the first 28 minutes in the second half. As you both know, the last two minutes of the first half, the last two minutes of the second half, and any overtime, it goes to the eye in the sky, the official up in the booth, and he will uh, stop the game, if you will, if there's an egregious non-call or call of pass interference only. So that immediately raises two problems. And the first one, and I go into a number of uh, examples in the article, the first one, of course, is, so the coach has two challenges. You guys know how it works. If you win the first two, you get the third. But suppose you have two big plays uh, earlier in the game before, you know, the final three minutes of the game, and the coach wins one and loses one. So what happens? He runs out of challenges. And what happens if you have the exact same play that you had last year with two minutes and 20 seconds left in the game or two minutes and 10 seconds left in the game? It's the same result. Nothing's going to happen. So Sean Payton, after the rule was passed, he essentially said, I was hoping to get a little more. The league wasn't ready for that. The other teams weren't ready for that. But he was almost saying we're going to get that this year because if what I just said happens once this year or anything like that, they're going to say, well, why did we pass the rule? Let's let the guy in the sky do it the entire game. And I think that's where we're going. Of course, now when a coach doesn't have a challenge left, if that play happens, what's going to happen? Oh, it's the coach's fault. Why did he throw that challenge flag in the second quarter? You know how it's going to go here. Um, and the other interesting thing, which I've already talked to Joe Stasek about on our podcast, is just suppose you have a play where um, – the guy's coming off the edge. He beats the left tackle cleanly. He's going to sack the quarterback. Um, and somehow the left tackle just turns around and grabs him or holds him or tackles him. And somehow that's missed. Well, because it's not pass interference call or non-call, nothing happens. 
So you've limited it to the most obvious pass interference, but you guys all know what happens with holding calls and other calls. And I have a few other examples, but overall, this is like a little open door now, and I think Sean Payton's going to try and kick it down at the end of this coming season by allowing the eye in the sky guy to call it at any time during a game and maybe expand it to other calls, not just pass interference. So I think this is the start of something that's going to be bigger. Exactly, and on the surface, it might seem kind of curious that Sean Payton would use his platform in that way because, again, it's not like it's going to change the outcome of the game there, but if you're looking at historical vindication that he can point to that subsequently, like, well, I was screwed at the very end of the way the NFL used to do business, and if the NFL did business the way that they did subsequently, then we'd have been in the Super Bowl. So I guess it allows him that. We live in a propagandized day and age when – you can basically try and look for uh, moral victories or what should have happened and whatever. So he seems to be going for the spin route on that, even though I think we all agree they got screwed. But uh, you look at it, Joe, in terms of uh, the NFC, when you're looking uh, big picture here, the top contenders in the NFC, you have to obviously put the Saints in the mix. I'm one of these people that's kind of looking at how Drew Brees fell off the second half of last year. Uh, I would say almost sort of somewhat akin, I think, to what I saw out of Peyton Manning in late 2014. We'll see if he can prove me wrong or if he can come back strong. But you got them in the mix. Obviously, the Rams. You've, you've got a, a Bears team that uh, is still heartbroken from the, uh, the double doink on the uh, field goal last year. But uh, they lost their defensive coordinator, uh, so they're going to have to deal with uh, some continuity issues there. And then you get to the East, and everybody seems to think it's between the Cowboys, who I still think are overrated, and your Eagles, who I will tell you, I actually have coming out of the NFC. I have it being another big year for Philly. So, you know, when you look at this, and uh, maybe there's a few teams I'm leaving out there as well. Seattle obviously just shook it up by getting Jadavion Clowney. Uh, It's a very interesting NFC South, pretty much top to bottom. Uh, How are you seeing it shake out with some of the more interesting teams and consequential teams in the NFC from your perch in one of the prime places to watch this in Philadelphia? Well, I'll start with the Eagles. Um, They are one of the favorites to make it out of the NFC. And everyone in this town has put the expectations squarely on Carson Wentz's back. Um, He's well-liked in this town, but everyone's a little apprehensive because of his injury issues. But uh, he's back, he's 100% healthy, he has to start Jackson now for throw two. And he's uh, got Jordan Howard, a guy who scored 24 touchdowns in his first three seasons, so expecting, expecting big things from him. Miles Sanders, the rookie out of Penn State. Um, I've criticized Howie Roseman um, incessantly over the last few days for not going after Jadavian Clowney. They have um, three defensive ends, uh, Brandon Graham, Vinnie Curry and Derek Barnett all combined for six sacks last year. Meanwhile, Crowley had nine and a half by himself. And also Michael Bennett, who's nine sacks. So I'm not sure that defense is going to be as great as I think it is. But, um, and, and of course, Jim Schwartz with his bang but don't break defense, which drives me nuts. He doesn't blitz a whole lot. He's just a wide nine. But his end, uh, if his end can't get the quarterback, we're going to just give him too much time. He will put his cornerbacks alive because. Right now, Ron Dalton coming off an uh, 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 Achilles tear is uh, already at one point in zone. except from a couple of years ago. He's on the other side, so we'll see what that brings. But it all comes down to Carson Wentz. He, I remember when he went 11-2, 12 
we're tearing up his knee, throwing for a touchdown, seven picks. Um, I'm not going to live that soon here if he can stay healthy. You know, some of the Saints, um, they still have a stalwart defense, second in rush. Last year, you mentioned Drew Brees. Um, he did kind of tail off in the second half of the season. Still put up good numbers, 32-5, and five, 32 touchdowns, five picks just under 4,000 yards. Not bad for a 40-year-old. They signed Jared Cook um, to be their tight end, and uh, they opened the season with the Texans on Monday Night Football. I'm looking at the Saints to probably go 11-5 and five here. You know, they just signed Michael Thomas to that huge deal. And uh, they got Keith Kirkwood on the other side and Trey Quan Smith. Um, uh, I think this might be the year they make that step. Of course, the last two years they've had ridiculous losses. We all remember the case Keenum to Stephon Diggs playing. And then last year, when he was just mentioning, by the way, I've seen the videos put together for WestchesterCountyPost.com. They're fabulous. If uh, you get a chance, you got to check those out. Yep. Callis, uh, WestchesterCountyPost.com. Um, I do like the Rams personally. I think the Rams may be the team coming out of the NFC. Um, not on the doorstep last year of a championship. Uh, John Goff just got signed. I don't know if you know, know that. He just got signed to a yep. four-year deal, $134 million, 110 guaranteed. It's slightly above Carson Wentz. He was drafted in front of Carson Wentz. Carson got four years, 128, 107.9 guaranteed. So he just he broke it by a little bit. Um He's uh, coming off a bad Super Bowl, but had a pretty good, pretty good year. They won back-to-back division titles. Um, biggest question mark there, obviously, is Todd Gurley. He had uh, uh, started the league in rushing, but he had that mysterious knee injury. Mysterious knee injury. Uh, Twenty-one touchdowns, though. Pretty, you know, not too bad. But that injury really hurt them in the playoffs. But uh, I think that might be a team to uh, reckon with. And one of my sleeper teams is not exactly a sleeper team. They were in the Super Bowl about three years ago. Um, I think the Atlanta Falcons bounced back a little bit. I think they bounced back. Julio Jones is hoping to get an extension done before the season starts. But, I mean, 113 receptions last year. The average is over 100 yards per game. Um, Matt Ryan had a really good year last year, 35-7. Uh, it's it's, it's, it's going to come down to, I think, obviously, those two, that connection right there. And... Uh, and their defense is uh, it's not it's not a bad defense, a top ten defense. So um, having said all that, again, I, I kind of like the Rams to come out, believe it or not, over my Eagles. Um, you know, but we shall see. Going to be interesting. It happens to be the NFC title game in Los Angeles. The Eagles have had fared very well there. They've won the last two games there. And if outside Jeffrey doesn't drop that ball, they're playing the NFC title game there last year. And I think they might have, and Steve always talks about this, might have gone to the Super Bowl if um, they finished off the Saints last year. If you remember, Saints did play all that well against the Rams. They played poorly against the Eagles. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to go with the Saints this year. It held off a little bit at the end of the year. I think it's going to come down to the Rams and the Eagles in the NFC, Greg. You know what's funny is I agree with you on a couple of things that you just said there because I have the Falcons winning the NFC South. I think somewhat out of a process of elimination because there are some things that I find uh, a little disconcerting about some of the other contenders. And I have Eagles-Rams in the NFC Championship game as well, although you'd like my outcome better. I have the Eagles winning it and actually beating the Patriots again in the Super Bowl. Uh, nice. 
we'll, we'll talk AFC subsequently, but in terms of some of these things here, Steve, I want to ask you, because the, uh, the Rams and uh, Sean McVay, which we were just talking about here, of course, this is one of these things where I think that the facts on the ground may be driving the conversation in a way that uh, people just sort of opining about things theoretically has not been able to do. And I speak, of course, of the four-game preseason because Sean McVay, as much as anybody else, I think has served to show that that is a, a very bygone concept. And, of course, that's not going to go away without lengthening the regular season because the NFL never leaves money on the doorstep, but they got to figure this out. The next CBA is coming in the next couple of years here, but uh, again, it, we seem to be reaching a kind of critical mass, I think, in terms of some of these holdouts. Players are calculating, I think correctly so, that they can make it back in and not have their performance suffer in the regular season. You're seeing more and more teams do what Sean McVay has done with Jared Goff and some of these other guys, and just said, hey, it's not worth it. It's not worth subjecting them to the contact, and you get enough uh, useful kind of data, I think they figure, from scrimmages with other teams. So uh, I, I'm wondering, in, in terms of, of your assessment, and this is foggy for all of us, right? All we can do is sort of give our best guess as to where it's going. I don't think they're even close to figuring out how to do an 18-game regular season in a way that the players are going to be okay with. But it, it just seems like in the last year or so, the, the, the concept of lengthening the regular season by way of the, the because the preseason will definitely be shortened. It really feels more like when, not if, at this point, doesn't it? Well, I think certainly that's the owner's side. We'll go two exhibition games if you guys will go 18. But as we all know, two regular season games versus two exhibition games from a playing perspective, from a getting injured perspective, from having to be at, a, at your top for another two games strikes me as counterintuitive the way the game is going. So I think that's going to be the biggest issue, and I don't see how the players are going to agree to that because the reality is whatever we the fans think of exhibition games, they're now all terrible. Um, you couldn't even watch the first half of the third game and have a guarantee that, you know, Rodgers didn't play, Wentz didn't play, you know, four or five quarterbacks didn't play at all. So I understand what you're saying, Rick. I just don't see how the players are going to give in on this one because I think none of them want look – at, look at what the injuries are now during 16-game seasons. Look at what these guys are like at the end of the year. And when those additional two games, obviously, will be game 17 and game 18, and you know all the playoff implications they will have, you're just going to have a lot more guys hurt – a lot more guys banged up going into the playoffs. It's bad enough as it is. Of course, they would never go back to 14 games, which would actually make more sense from a physical perspective. But, yeah, Joe was mentioning in Philly, by the way, we should check, Joe, if, if Rick Morris is leaving Cleveland and moving to Philly based on his picks. <laughs> that's enough, but that's another story. Um, but Joe has talked a lot about it. He brought up exactly that. The quarterbacks aren't playing. The games are a joke to begin with. You do need something to see these guys who are on the fringes, you know, the special teamer who just makes the game. But I think you can do that in two games, and it doesn't seem, and I'll use one as an example. I was yelling on Philly radio, this guy missed the end of last season, injury, no playoffs, missed the Super Bowl year, the year uh, no playoffs. He hasn't been in a playoff game yet, and so he missed the last three or four weeks last year, and he hasn't played it down. So I know they're playing Washington the first week, but, you know, suppose he throws a pick, suppose he's rusty, suppose he has problems early. I think 
the Eagles have made a decision, look, it's Washington, we're going to beat them. Um, suppose they were playing somebody real good, I don't know if he would have played at all, but uh, I think Joe's right in that they're moving towards uh, our number one quarterback isn't going to play, period, because we can't afford to lose these guys, and that seems to be the way of the future. But I don't think there's going to be a two-game quid pro quo. We'll, we'll give up two exhibition games if you give us two more regular season games because I think the injuries resulting from those extra games are going to be dramatic at the end of the season in a longer season than anybody's ever played in the NFL, you know, in the history of the NFL. Yeah, and that's going to be something worth keeping an eye on because, yes, it is going to be very difficult getting from here to there in terms of how this all shakes out. And, of course, when you're talking about quarterbacks getting hurt and uh, really damaging what can happen to an entire franchise, what better case could there be than Andrew Luck and what ended up happening there? So, Joe, as I turn to you looking at some of the big picture AFC stuff, this is a thing where I had alluded to this when we were doing the divisional breakdowns. There was a lot of extra work involved in that because we recorded just prior to Andrew Luck's decision. So we had to go back and re-record some stuff because initially I had the Colts going to the Super Bowl. I had them being the team to lose to Philadelphia because, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I I, I just – the thing with New England, it's the same thing as watching Mike Cleveland Cavs all those years, uh, 2015 to 2018, the toll of all the extra playoff games. I feel like somebody's got to take out New England, but I'm running out of candidates here. I think my Browns are a year away. I got them going to the AFC Championship game. Pittsburgh has never beat them in a game when it's counted, ever. Uh, the Chargers, I would have had them as a team right there. Melvin Gordon out. Derwin James, uh, the force multiplier on that defense. Their sterling young franchise player. He's going to be down a good chunk of the season. So they got issues there. The Chiefs, you know, I've always been a Spagnuolo guy, but, uh, you know, can he alone fix that defense? Uh, I mean, they, they got some new parts there, but they lost some parts also, like D. Ford. So, you know, six of one, half dozen of another, probably in terms of the parts. I go on and on down the line here. It's hard to see any of the teams in the AFC South as being that formidable necessarily. Obviously, nobody else in the AFC East because, uh, you know, the Patriots get a bye to the second round just the same way that they have almost since the turn of the century. So, like, I'm, and, and you can't, by the way, that cannot be underestimated. For all the times it got said about LeBron James when he was in the East, about, well, yeah, who was there to take him out? Although there was a great ESPN.com article that showed what LeBron did to help break up all the other teams in the East over a period of time, that they just got sick of banging their head against the wall and split up. Maybe to a certain extent that's been the case with Brady and the AFC East, but it is the same thing. You cannot discount that cushy path to the playoffs that they've had all this period of time. But when you add that in, the fact that they'll probably have a bye week yet again and the dearth of teams to take them out, I find myself going back to New England, which just feels like a lazy hack kind of a pick at this point here. But uh, how do you see the AFC shaking out? Well, I think it's hard to you know go to the Super Bowl four years in a row. Right. Except the only the only team that would not surprise me was the New England Patriots. Uh, is going to be there 
defensive coordinator. All he has a ring, one of the wings, the D coordinator with the Giants uh, in 2007. Didn't fare that well in, in New Orleans, but uh, I think he's a very good defensive coordinator. He has four new assistants on defense. It's a whole new look at the fourth three. They're going to run a fourth three base. Um, he's paid a lot of money for Ty, uh, Tyron Matthew. And again, Frank Park off the edge. Uh, it's going to come down to, I think, week 14 in New England, the Chiefs go to New England. That's probably going to de- determine home field advantage. Um, it, uh, you know, the game was played last year in KC, and KC was a D Ford offside penalty away from going to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, the home field advantage is going to be very important there, but, but you know, for New England, they can play anywhere. They really can play anywhere, but, um, but for that to be the key game, now you mentioned the Chargers. I like the Steelers and the Chargers as two of the teams you can make a run as well. Uh, you know, Steelers lost to Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, but they had James Washington and J.J. Schuster. Nice job last year running the football. And of course, Ben Roethlisberger, 35 percent over 5,000 yards for Big Ben. And they were a top 10 defense. They were sixth in the league in defense last year. So. I like the Pittsburgh Steelers to bounce back. Remember, they tied the Browns one game and they got tied that game. Yep. They go to the playoffs last year. They go to the playoffs. Remember, Rick, right? Yeah. Um, it's kind of a very entertaining game, but a very entertaining game. And you mentioned the Chargers. If they had Melvin Gordon and Devlin James uh, wasn't out until November, I'd probably pick them as maybe my cheap team to go to the Super Bowl. Sure. Um, I don't love Philip Rivers, but I like him. You know, 4,300 yards last year, almost 70% completion percentage. Um, the defense bolstered by Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. Um, you know, you saw him in the playoffs last year. He beat Lamar Jackson and the, and the Ravens in that first game, although uh, they had it hand-in-hand, but Lamar Jackson brought the Ravens back and got closer at the end. Then they go to New England. I think I picked the spot just that game. It was 35-7 at the half, New England. So that didn't work out too well. But um, I think they might be, yeah, I don't want to call them a sleeper, but uh, a team that maybe took a step backwards in a lot of folks' eyes because of the injuries that I mentioned, especially Melvin Gordon. You know, the contract talks are even put to bed for the rest of the season. So um, according to the owner, so I think that's going to be a weird situation. I think he's been given uh, permission to talk to teams to, for a possible trade situation. So they're probably going to be without him. But, uh, you know, I, I'm... I hate to play the favorites. I hate to go with favorites. But I'm probably going to go with the Chiefs this year to come out of the um, AFC. Not a big Andy Reid fan. So uh, I'm not going to pick them in the Super Bowl, but I think the Chiefs. Uh, and Tyreek Hill, of course, um, kind of beat the rap, if you will, with that domestic violence charge. I love him as a player. I'm not so big on him as a human being, but I love him as a player. He, he was clocked at 22 miles an hour last year. Um, carrying the football, one of the fastest players in the league, great receiver. He still has him. They don't cream hunt anymore, but he still has Tyreek Hill as a weapon. And Travis Kelsey does Patrick Mahomes. So uh, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. What can I say? Well, I tell you what, too. You you look at the uh, landscape of the AFC and the NFC. The fact that your Eagles should have a window that is open long enough. Uh, for now, the emergence of my Browns. We've talked about so many times on the show the uh, the all these similarities of Cleveland and Philly sports. Uh, to have our Browns and Eagles in the Super Bowl could happen this year. I think it's less likely that the Browns break through, but like I said, uh, I, I can find reasons to poke holes in a lot of other teams in the AFC. Of course, if I was going to sure. poke yeah, any holes in the Browns right now, the number one thing would be the state of the offensive line. 
which is a little more questionable, I think, than anybody thought it was going to be at this point. So to bring this full circle, I'm going to do kind of a grab bag with you guys and kind of let you guys prioritize what you guys each think are some of the more uh, interesting and important things that we haven't gotten to yet or that I haven't gotten to with you. I will start with Steve. So, uh, Steve, certainly in the case of your thing here, please, since you haven't talked as much on specific uh, teams, I've asked you more general issues. Uh, at minimum, please give your Super Bowl picks here on who you think the teams are going to be. But aside from that, Steve, a grab bag on anything you th- else you think is worth uh, noting here from a big-picture perspective in the league this year. Well, I think we've kind of got over it. Andrew Luck retiring, I think that leads to a whole new and again. Joe and I have spoken about this on the air, a whole new view of looking at yourself as a professional football player and how that fits into the rest of your life. You know, the guy left $58 million on the table. I mean, that has to mean something to other players. Where I think now you're going to have more of these. I still think Gronkowski's coming back myself, but, you know, he's only 29 when he hung him up. So I think there's going to be a new wave in the NFL that's not going to be good for the NFL where you're going to find once you get that, not initial rookie contract, but that next contract, which keeps you in the league, whatever, you know, eight, nine years, I think that might be it for a lot of players because now it's the old how much money do you need. Usually the answer is more, but if you're going to make 30, 40, 50 million, in your first eight years, 60, 70 million if you're a quarterback or more, um, I think you're going to see a lot more guys retiring young. So that's going to take away from the quality of the game. The, the biggest change we've already talked about is the pass interference rule. Um, I am seeing, though, the playoffs a little differently from you guys. I believe in karma. So I am picking the New Orleans Saints to beat the Rams and go to the Super Bowl because that was so egregious. There has to be someone up in the sky, either in a ref's uniform or somewhere else, saying, nah, this can't happen. This is wrong. Um, and yes, you guys are right. Rivers did tail off in the second half of the year. But I think, and Joe mentioned it, for them to, to get Jared Cook at tight end now, on top of all the other Thomas Kamara, all the other guys they have, I think that's the kind of guy you need when you have an aging quarterback who maybe is tailing off. If you have that tight end who's really good and Jared Cook was really good with the Raiders, uh, I think that's going to make their offense that much better. And, you know, they still got a lot of guys on the other side of the ball. Cameron Jordan, Demario Davis, Marshawn Lattimore. You know, they got really good players at each level of the defense. So I am going to go in the East and just have a reversal of what the correct should have been last year. Okay. <laughs> and that'll be New Orleans over the Rams going to the Super Bowl. Um, I think, you know, in the AFC, what can I say? I mean, besides the fact my son would kill me if I don't pick him, I don't see... I don't think Kansas City has done enough. I think you're right. That Week 14 game was in New England could decide it, but because it's in New England, for some reason they seem to bottle up Patrick Mahomes for a little while and then he explodes, but it just seems to come up a little short. I don't think they've improved the defense that much. I'm a Steve Spagnuolo guy too, but you know when he had a great defense, he was great. And when he had a not-so-great defense, this is with the Giants I'm talking about winning the Super Bowl, and when he had a not-so-great defense with the Giants, he was not so great. So, as with most coaches, show me what the talent level is on my team, and I'll tell you how good a coach the coach is going to be. So, um, I don't see a whole lot in the AFC. I had a a much harder time picking playoff teams in the NFC. 
but I have Cleveland and Pittsburgh coming out of the north. I have Jacksonville in the south. We haven't talked about uh, the president and the vice president of the Nick Foles fan club is on your show yeah. right now, Rick. <laughs> at least, at least when he was an eagle. And uh, I saw Sports Illustrated pick Jacksonville to win five games. So maybe there's still something I'm not seeing. Ooh. But I think. Uh, I think they're going to be fine. They've got Fournette. If their defense comes back anywhere near to what it was two years ago, we'll all remember they should, they should have beaten the Patriots two years ago in the playoffs. Just like Jump said, without D4 going uh, neutral zone infraction, they would have beat the Patriots last year at Kansas City. But somehow the Patriots are the Patriots. And my son tells me the defense, he says he's more excited this year than the last three years before the season started for the Patriots because their defense is so good. And we saw them become, whatever you think of Brady, 42, 43, 44, 45, tailing off or not, they're a power running team. They're like the Green Bay Packers of the 60s. Belichick has totally stood the league on its head to see the final score of the Super Bowl. So I don't know how that's going to change. They've got Sonny Michelle. Yes, they lost a couple of guys. They lost, lost David Andrews, their center, to these blood clots, and that's a terrible thing. Obviously for his health, but also for the Patriots, he's been a rock on their line the last few years. But I still think somehow they get over the, the hump, and the only team I think can beat them uh, are the Kansas City Chiefs. But, you know, Joe Stasak has talked about Andy Reid for 15 years now, and you just don't quite have that confidence, especially after last year. I mean, the Patriots beat the Chiefs in Kansas City, and somehow people thought the Rams were going to win the Super Bowl. That was beyond the scope of my brain. And as for the Rams, you know, we still don't know what's up with Todd Gurley. To me, Jared Goff is like Dak Prescott. If you have a great running game, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Todd Gurley, you're a much better quarterback. And when you don't have that running game, coupled with, frankly, the fact for the Rams that Cooper Cup was hurt. So when Belichick has to take away their best weapon, Cooper Cup was hurt. He was already taken away. Gurley couldn't run. He was taken away. And that's before Belichick went to work on a young quarterback like Jared Goff. So I think it's going to be Patriots over the New Orleans Saints in the Super Bowl, which frankly is what at least the matchup should have been last year. Well, the league would love that, to have Breeze v. Brady in the Super Bowl. And listen, whether or not the Jags do anything on the field this year, uh, their ownership is at least going to be relevant and in the news because, of course, coming up about a month from now, the launch of the, the Khan family, their brand new show uh, on TNT, the first uh, pro wrestling show to go head-to-head with the WWE in 18 years. So as they ter- directly take on Vince McMahon, the Khan family will either be in the headlines uh, just because of that, or possibly with the Jags uh, winning as well. But they are guaranteed headlines nonetheless. Uh, I'll pivot to you, Joe, and uh, same kind of deal. Anything we haven't gotten to with you yet that you find noteworthy in the league this year? Well, I think one of the big stories right now is the holdout of Zeke Elliott. I mean, as you know, sort of the Cowboys, he led the league in rushing two the last three years. Apparently he's back from Cabo. And a deal is getting closer and closer and closer. Now, he wants Todd Gurley money. Gurley signed a big contract a little while ago, four million, uh, fifty-seven million over four years, uh, twenty-one million dollars signing bonus. So that's the kind of money he's looking for. I'm not sure that's going to happen. Apparently, he's in good shape uh, and might play Sunday. It's getting it's getting pretty close to Sunday. Um, I don't. 
know if he's going to be ready, but if they get something hammered out tomorrow, he's probably going to play, so that should be interesting. But the holdout, um, it's not a normal holdout. He has two years left on his deal, and we're seeing some of that nowadays. Um, it's just to boost one thing if you had one more year on your deal. But this is, you know, even Jerry Jones said, listen, he's a younger contract for two more years, not just one, two more years. Same thing with Holdo Jones. He's 13 years old. He's probably not going to play unless he signs an extension. He wants you know, top dollar. He wants Michael Thomas money, or you know, obviously more than Michael Thomas. And Arthur Blank said he will make him the highest paid receiver in the league. But he is 30 years old. He's still dynamite. Still had one of the best catches I've ever seen in the Super Bowl or ever anywhere. It uh, kind of went by the wayside because uh, the Falcons went backwards after that. We were able to kick the green field goal. And we know what happened, blowing a 28-3 lead. But uh, once again, um, I'm going with the Rams and the Chiefs. Uh, Jared Goff got that cushy money. Um, Cooper Cup is back. Uh, Brandon Cooks is still there. I like Sean McVay. I think they want to avenge last year's debacle in the playoffs. I think they're good enough to do that. And again, they're going up against the Chiefs, and I would normally take the Chiefs in this one, but the Andy Reid factor, like Steve said, I don't think... I, some guys aren't quite good enough to get over the hump. Although he's done a nice job at KC, he took a two and fourteen team, eleven and five the next year, and then he's made it to the playoffs the last few years. He, after he went up seventeen spots to take Patrick Mahomes, he obviously saw something there. You know, um, he did draft okay when he was in Philadelphia. He picked Deshaun Jackson, Lashawn McCoy, who's now with him, reunited with Andy Reid. So um, it'll be interesting. But again. Uh, I think the Chiefs edge the Patriots in the AFC title game. And the Rams, I think they're going to edge the Eagles in the NFC title game. I think the Rams win the whole thing. Interesting clip and save on all of this because, again, I have said uh, Eagles over Patriots, as was the case two years ago. And uh, if that's the case... We need to get a sequel to the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia episodes about the Eagles winning the Super Bowl because <laughs> they were every bit as great as I would have hoped for. So, uh, you know, if for no other reason, uh, we'd look forward to seeing that again. But uh, it will be a Bafo 2019 season. Uh, we know this. And, again, uh, it's always fun tracking all sports with you guys. We have talked, I believe, uh, any number of sports uh, with both of you. And, uh, of course, NBA Finals, Stanley Cup Finals. That was the last time I believe we had you guys together was in the, uh, the, the wake of that this past summer. So thank you as always. Uh, Joe Stazak, a pleasure to have you back on, my friend. Thank you so much. Hey, pleasure, Rick. And, Steve, you know, always a pleasure to doing uh, gigs with you. But again, thanks, Rick. I really appreciate it. I always have fun coming on the show. Thank you so much. And, of course, you do that great show, 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia. And, of course, the Callous Remarks podcast that you two guys do together. And our other FDH Lounge dignitary, my dear sweet friend Steve Callis, who uh, I was very pleased to be able to see in person a few weeks back. Steve, thank you so much for being here as well. Hey, it's my favorite duo to do these kinds of shows with. I love doing it with both of you guys, and I can't wait till we do it again. It's going to be awesome the next time we do this. But, uh, again, in the meantime, thank you for doing this, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in for FDH Lounge mini-episode number 1145. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, All Clear Channel affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, 
MSNBC, IamBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio, Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse, and The Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements.